This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything that's going on in your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Download it. There will be a banner at the top that says Call Now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and we would love your phone calls. 340-9585. I've got a couple things today, one sad, one cute, that I want to talk about as we get started uh, today, and then we'll get right into the questions while we wait your phone calls. Um, Yesterday, of course, we had a uh, question that was sent in at the top of the program uh, asking us to pray for... Ravi Zacharias. Um, been praying for Ravi since I found out that he had cancer. Well, today he went to be with the Lord. Um, his old body gave out, and he immediately stepped into the presence of the Lord. He he was able to look into the face that he's told so many about, the face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. He heard... Jesus call him by a name, not Ravi, a name that he'd never heard before, but a name that he knew instantly was his. And he looked into that face and he heard that voice and he knew he had received the goal of his salvation. And as eloquent as Ravi was, and he really was, as brilliant as he was, it was greater more magnificent than anything he ever could have imagined. I will miss him. I don't know him personally. Um, But I have been listening to Ravi for more than 15 years and really, really appreciated his intellect, his approach to the Word, mostly though his passion for Jesus. It was real. It was genuine. Um, And I'm going to miss him. Uh, but I would ask for prayer for RZIM, that's the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, 
um, a couple hundred employees spread literally all over the world. They're going into places that most Christians never get invited to, into college and university campuses um, um, on on every continent. Um, there are doors that open for them that won't open for the rest of us. It's a unique ministry that God has given them. Um, pray for Michael Ramsden, Vince Vitale. Pray for Ravi's wife, Margie, and his daughters. Um, and pray for the abundant fruit from the ministry of RZIM, that it would continue, that the men and the women who were with him uh, would uh, would continue faithfully observing the word of God and doing the work that they've been called to do. I'm going to miss you, Ravi. I know you don't care about what I'm saying today. You're not looking down on us, but... Um, enjoy your time with Jesus. You've earned it. Well done. Good and faithful servant. The other thing before I take a phone call, I wanted to, to share a quick story that uh, I've I talked to you about Nathan, our five-year-old here at the academy, um, literally born into the church and raised. And this is a kid that, that he, I mean, he really knows his Bible. He likes to come by and have me quiz him. and I mean, he it's unbelievable the recall this five-year-old has. And he's serious. Well, last week, Paula got a text from, from his mom. said, thought you and Pastor Ron would like to hear about this. She was taking a break. Um, you know, they're teaching at home or helping with the teaching at home. And um, She turned on the TV set, and there was a TV show called The Big Bang Theory. I don't, I haven't watched it. I know it's supposed to be really smart, but um, um, Nathan was getting ready to go to bed and he saw that she was watching the Big Bang Theory and said, Mom, that's false teaching. That's not how the world started. You shouldn't be watching those kind of things. And Mom was a little irritated at first, but then convicted and then blessed by the whole thing. So Nathan, I don't know if you're listening today, but if you are listening, God bless you, young man. I am so proud of you. What a wonderful, wonderful work you're doing, the Lord is doing in you. Thank you. Let's go to a phone call, 340-9585. We've got my friend Tanya from San Leandro, California on the line. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, Papa. I have a question for you. Um, when you are talking to Catholic uh, individuals, and, and I know that there are some people who um, are born again, but I'm, I'm a little, um, I need some direction on how to be able to share, uh, like, I, I'm not going to be able to foster a relationship with this individual, but just like today I had an opportunity to chat with somebody who said, you know, I, I asked him if they were born again, and he said, you know, I did all the sacraments, I've done all these things, and, and I'm, I don't want to be, because there is no speaking, right, I'm typing, um, you know, I said, but have you been born again? And I referenced, you know, let you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And so I talked about all those things, but um, it seems like, personally, I was Catholic. And it's almost, you can't say Catholic when you're born again. Am I wrong in saying that? And I'm just looking just for some pointers to not be, I mean, I'm, of course, I'm going to tell the truth, right? And sometimes that, that mm -hmm. does hurt people. 
but I'm just kind of looking for, you know, I thought I was saying, well, big deal, you did all these sacraments. I didn't say that, obviously, you know, but it's like we get so caught. And I told him it's about a relationship, not the rules. And just if you could just give me some some pointers with just what I need to plant, because it's likely I'll never chat with this person again. Um, just, you know, I, I preach. I mean, I tell them the, the gospel, the gospel. What, the, what does the Bible say? But. Mm-hmm. I don't because I can't, you know, give you a hug when it's over with and let's hey, let's talk about this later. What do you, what are the what are the, the key things you think I need to be focusing on when I'm speaking to the Catholics because they don't even they're not even familiar with the term born again. Yeah. Yeah. And and Tanya, that's such a tragedy. Uh two two things that I always focus on with Catholics and we've had uh, a whole bunch of Catholics who got saved. Uh, over our years here at Calvary Chapel. I mean, just a whole, whole bunch. And um, we we sort of focus on two things. And you hit the first one, it's just being born again. And I like to in, reinforce that Jesus was talking to a religious person when he said that. In fact, the most religious man in all of Israel. And um, um, Nicodemus was... was uh, uh, his mind was blown. What do you mean? How can a man go into his mother's room a second time? He wasn't asking a dumb question. He wasn't being naive. He was simply saying, how could everything that I've ever been taught be wrong? How could my whole life have been worth nothing up to this point if I thought I was serving God, if other people thought I was serving God, but, but and you're telling me, and this is Jesus, you're telling me that I have to be born again. And see, that's the hardest part for Catholics. It's the investment they have in their religion. It's been drained into them over and over and over from the time they, they could communicate that they're saved because they're Catholic. They're saved because they've been baptized. And uh, what I do in, in trying to focus in on the born-again experience is I ask him, tell me when it happened. Are you born again? Well, I'm Catholic. I know, but but since Jesus said you have to be born again, when did it happen for you? When did you surrender your life to Christ? And the Holy Spirit will use that. And I promise you that even in your brief encounter, the Holy Spirit won't let go of that. Secondly, and this leads into, the first leads into the second, is... Um, I'd like to tell Catholics, especially when they answer the way this person did, no, I do the sacraments, I've done all these things, that that a relationship with Jesus Christ differs from religion because it's not at all about what you've done. But being born again is a response to everything that God has already done. And the Holy Spirit will use those open doors to continue knocking on the door of their heart and pulling them to you. Now, um, I'm not sure I understood you, Tanya, um, correctly, but I thought you said that if somebody's really born again, they couldn't say they were Catholic. Um, there, there are some born-again Catholics. Again, when I say there are some very, very few um, Anybody who thinks they're going to heaven because they were a Catholic or anybody who thinks they're going to heaven because they were were uh, baptized as an infant, those people, by definition, are not born again. If they think they're saved by doing religious things, the sacraments, um, going to catechism, you know, none of that saves. And yet there are a few who get it. And the only thing I've ever been able to determine, Tanya, over the years, is that there's some people who truly have met Jesus, they're truly born again, and they stay in the Catholic Church because that's all they know. You know, there are 
periods of our church history where the Catholic faith, not the, not the, 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 as it's practiced today necessarily, but, but the Roman Catholic faith, that was the, the official religion of the world. It'd be like going to, to England and somebody saying, yes, I'm an Anglican. That's the, the church of, of England. Um, so, so I'm saved. Um, but, but because of that commitment and the comfort level, they keep going, but they're really and truly saved. I played golf in a golf tournament with a, with a guy one time here in town. Um, really a nice guy. Ray is his first name. And, and, uh, as we were playing, um, you know, one of the first things you do when you get in a tournament is you, you show the other guy your golf ball so you can see what you're playing. And his golf ball had a, a, a fish symbol on it. That was his marker. And so I said, oh, Ray, so you're a believer. And he said, yeah. And, I mean, I spent two days with him on a golf course. I can promise you this guy was truly born again. But he still goes to Catholic Church. And he's telling people in the Catholic Church about Jesus. So, Tanya, those are the two things that we focus on. And it's likely not going to get you a response, but this is one of those things where the Holy Spirit is going to be chasing that person and, and, and continually banging on the door of his or her heart. So you keep telling people about Jesus, but believe me, when Catholics really and truly get saved, they find a joy in the Lord that they never knew was possible before. So you keep at it. You know, they're close. They've got the same Father, the same Son, the same Holy Spirit. So all they have to do, Tanya, is ask Jesus into their heart. It's sort of like Apollos in the book of Acts or or in, in Acts chapter 19 when those disciples were encountered in Ephesus, um, disciples of John the Baptist. And they had they said all the right things. But it was clear, first to Priscilla and Aquila, and secondly to Paul, later, that there was something missing. And we use what Paul said. Paul said, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard there is such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And they were able then to bring them into um, a, a place where all of the information was available to them. And, of course, they gave their hearts to Jesus. They thought that he was coming. Paul and earlier Priscilla and Aquila had the privilege of saying, no, 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 he's already been here. And they would talk about his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead, and it would be the best news ever. So you keep praying for those Catholics that you encounter, but uh, focus on those two things. It's not what you've done, it's what Jesus has done. And you've got to be born again. And make him, ask him, when did you get born again? You know, doctrinally, Catholics believe, now most Catholics don't know if they believe this, but doctrinally, the Catholic Church teaches that infant baptism uh, is, is what God uses to, for the born-again born process. It washes away your sins, and you're now born again. And certainly, uh, Tanya, we know that can't be the case biblically, doctrinally. Good to hear from you, Tanya. Hope everything is well in San Leandro, California. Hope you and your family are safe. Let's go to Jim on line two from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks, Pastor Ron, for talking to me on the air. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for your um, giving double honor to Pastor Robbie. Uh, you know, those that work hard oh. among us are worthy of that double honor. And it was eloquent what yeah. you said. To, we should honor him. So, yeah, you, Thank you. You did finish strong. Thank you, Jim. So, yeah. Um, 
you shared with me yesterday some good counsel. I had called about a question on the book of Job, and so I, I got another one. <laughs> so I, I, I want to learn from your, your counsel. Good, and I'm, I'm just not one to, to overthink this, but I had just a, a question in regard to God's response to Job. So here's the thing. So I don't want to look at God's response from a human perspective, because we know that God is so far above all of us. So here's what I think. This story, just help me get my logic correct. If I were to go in the hospital and get my spleen taken out and my dad had given me 200 bucks to put in my wallet, and as I'm coming out of the, the drug-induced anesthesia and somebody comes and takes $200 out of my wallet in the hospital, and I don't know what it is, I assume it's my dad. And I said, it must have been my dad. It wasn't my dad. It was an enemy of the family who came and my dad said he can't take it. So, so that's what really <laughs> happened. You, you know, one of Job's friends, Jim. <laughs> So I'm just curious, maybe God did, but when he spoke to Job at the end of the book of Job, he didn't correct him, because Job said, the Lord gave, which is true, and the Lord has taken away. And I'm really seeing that that the devil took it away. God gave him the permission, but I understand what what Job didn't understand when the curtain was pulled back, and he didn't see all the things that we know, but why did God really not correct him and say, Job, it wasn't me that took that away, it was the, the enemy. Good, good question. I think, I think there's a couple of answers. I think first, Job had a better handle on the sovereignty of God than most of us do, Jim. Uh, everything comes from the hand of God. Good comes from God. Bad comes from God. That's why Job could say, the, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it, God's not interested in correcting Job's doctrine there. Uh, Job's understanding was that everything did come from the Lord. Now, something we have to wrestle with as Christians is that we deal with uh, a sovereign God who is good, who loves us, but who doesn't always deliver us from the trap of the enemy. And and we know that the enemy had no power over Job to do anything at all until God said it was okay. So it's almost like I think of, of, of King David playing the harp, uh, calming Saul down, King Saul down. And then um, um, it says an evil spirit from the Lord attacked Saul and Saul threw a javelin across the room and tried to kill King David or David before he was the king. Um, You know, that javelin came out of the hand of Saul, um, but it was really um, uh, precipitated by an evil spirit that the Lord permitted to torment Saul. And, and David was never in danger in the same way Job was never in danger. Uh, it's just the things that we've got to deal with. One other thing I want to say about this to you, Jim, because I think this is important to understand the book of Job. Two things. One, um, the question that, that the book of Job begs is why. For all the chapters, Job wants a why. His, 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 his ungodly friends, they all want to know why is this happening, and they try to figure it out. Well, Job just wants to know, why is this happening? And this is the question that God never answers in the entire book of Job. In the entire book, the question why is never addressed. It's continually asked, but it's never addressed. And Job was content with that. When he saw God, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. When he could get to that place, he no longer needed an answer to the why question. So that's what I want you to take away from this. You know, when we we wonder why these things happen, we should never ask why. 
we should always ask who. That's all. Just Jesus is with us. The other thing about Job, um, Jim, is that that um, even though he was blessed by God, Job suffered horrendous loss. Horrendous loss. And Job never stopped mourning just because God blessed him double with children. Job never stopped mourning his kids. Those losses stay with us. The grief stays with us. And Job learned to lean on the God that he knew and then knew even more because he saw him. And that was his source of comfort. I've got, in case you're interested, Jim, you can go to calvarysa.com. I've got my commentary that I've written on the book of Job. Uh, those notes are online, and maybe some of that stuff will help you with some of these questions. Thank you for asking. I appreciate your call. Let's go to Danny calling from San Antonio on line three. Danny, thanks for calling and being patient. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Uh, this is Danny, and I'm really excited about this question. As, you know, listening to you and Pastor Ken's teachings about the apostles, like yesterday, Pastor Ken got into Acts, uh, finishing up Acts chapter 5, and this is a fantastic story about, you know, how the apostles were just on fire, and they were just, and the prosecution that they were going through, but anyways, Pastor Ken mentioned the, the timeline as to when um, Apostle Paul um, became a, a Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused about the timeline because he's talking about Acts and mm-hmm. Peter in that in that chapter five, and then he mentioned Paul. Imagine imagine Paul you know, being a witness to what was going on there, but he wasn't a, a Christian or a follower yet of Christ. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out that timeline. You know what I mean? Yes, I can do that for you, Danny. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, a couple of things, Danny. First, um, Paul, of course, and you know this chronologically, he gets saved, he encounters Jesus in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts covers a period of time of about 30 years. So we have to understand that there are necessarily a lot of time gaps. It's not just the one thing happened right after the other thing. There was a lot of time. And when we understand that, then we get a little bit closer grip. Now, Paul wasn't there, of course, in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira uh, were killed. Um, He wasn't there um, in in, um, um, Acts chapter 6. Now, when we see Saul of Tarsus entering the scene, the one who would become the Apostle Paul, that's when Stephen is being martyred. And Saul of Tarsus had the authority. He's the one who sort of gave the thumbs up to Stephen being stoned. So he was there, but he was there as a persecutor of the church, as an enemy of the church. And I think personally, now, Danny, we don't have any biblical proof of this, but as a member of the Sanhedrin, Saul of Tarsus, though he was young, advancing in, 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 in years above many of his contemporaries, uh, as a member of the Sanhedrin, he certainly would have been there when Jesus was crucified. He would have been one of those who was shouting for Barabbas. He's one of those who would be shouting, crucify him. So now as he's there and he hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
Well, fast forward now, maybe as much as 10 years. And now it's time for Stephen to die. And Stephen cries out to God, Father, lay not this charge to their account. In other words, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And and Saul, who would have heard Jesus say that very same thing, and now he hears Stephen die like a true man of God, that would have been something that, that aided his heart. He couldn't deal with that. And that's why he got angrier and angrier and went out to push uh, and pursue um, 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 Christians, putting him in jail. Some of them he was putting to death. Um, and that's why Jesus said to him when he, when he apprehended him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goats, isn't it? In other words, I've been chasing you. I've been knocking on the door of your heart, and you've been resisting and getting angry and angry. How's it working out for you, is what he was saying. So Saul wasn't there in Acts chapter 5. Um, he was there when you get to chapter 7. He's the one who gave the approval the last verse of the chapter, consenting to his death. And then we don't see him again until chapter 9 when he's out on another mission to persecute Christians. Good question, Danny. Thank you very, very much. I'm thrilled uh, that you are able to get here for Pastor Ken's Bible study. Great questions. I love the way the program opened today. Uh, we are just about, there's the music, we're just about at the end of the first half of the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And if you will give us a two-minute break, we'll be back for more of your phone calls and questions. We'll see you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hey, really quick before I go to another phone call, um... Uh, tomorrow, um, Paul and I have the privilege, along with Pastor Will, who is the principal of our school, and his wife Natasha, of taking our um, Calvary Chapel Christian Academy staff out to our teachers and staff appreciation lunch that we do every year. Um, pray for them. It's been a really difficult year, you know, to be cut off this way. Um, away from their students, teaching them via uh, live stream and and uh, all the social media platforms. I can't think of the names right now. But uh, it's been a really difficult year, and it's really going to be good to get to back together with them and thank them. You know, this long-distance learning has proven to be a lot more work in terms of the hours involved than even when they were here all day long. And I'm just so proud of them. I, I've really, really been blessed by them. Uh, and then today, one of our seniors, in fact, our student body president, 
came in to my office today, and she's carrying a a, a dozen um, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. And Krispy Kreme is evidently today giving graduating seniors free donuts, and it says 2020 on it. And she had a T-shirt on, uh, uh, the, the young woman who came into the, the office. And on her T-shirt, it said something about the graduating seniors 2020. And the zeros in the 2020 were rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> Just a perfect picture of the quarantine class of 2020. Let's go to Jimmy calling on from San Antonio on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How are you doing, sir? Um, I'm well, thank you. Uh, I was going to ask you, I have two questions. So you're holding service again, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Were limited people uh, allowed to attend? or? Of course. Yeah, we've got three services on Sunday, Jimmy, so um, we can we can fit everybody in. We, we're not, we can't fit the numbers of people in yet that we had before, um, okay. but but uh, but there's always room. We we don't we're not turning anybody okay. away. I've been watching you online. Hey, I, I was going to ask you also. Um, hey, um, this kind of hurts me sometimes, but I have a friend of mine that he he, he goes to a. Um, a Presbyterian church, and uh, he, every time I share scriptures, I share scriptures with him. He he, uh, he says, "I don't need to hear your scripture." You know, you know what they call you? They call me. They say they call people like you a Bible thumper. <laughs> and I said, "Well, the Word of God is true, Jesse. You know, um, you you can't. You, you know, <clears throat> that's how you know a person is saved, right? If they want to hear scriptures." It's one of the ways, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Jimmy, just when when people do that, just accept that as a badge of honor. You know, uh, when somebody identifies as a Presbyterian or a, I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Methodist or I'm a this, I'm a that, it's the same as with with Tanya's call earlier. The only real question is, are they born again? You know, being raised in a denomination of church doesn't allow you to go into heaven. And uh, many of those churches, now the Presbyterians aren't as bad as some of the others, but many of those churches have long since thrown away the teaching of the Bible. They don't hold to the inerrancy of the Word of God. And in many, many cases, uh, they're simply men and women who are going through the religious motion, and they don't really belong to the Lord at all. But every single person who's truly born again has a hunger in his or her heart for the Word. So by your example... You're showing them where they ought to be. And sometimes when you shine that light in the darkness of of some people's hearts, they're not going to respond the way that we hope they would. However, the Holy Spirit will truly be chasing them around saying, hey, well, he believes in the Word. He's looking for the Word. Why aren't you? And God will use it. Now, they may not respond, but it won't be your fault. You have a follow-up, Jimmy? Yeah, they just call me names, like Bible Thumper. Yeah, Yeah, you're tough. You can handle it. I know. (laughs) Hey, Jimmy, for for you and your family, if if you want to come to church, third service is, you you would come occasionally to third service. Third service, there's still some room, so don't really worry about it. We'll we'll get you in here, and I'd love to give you a hug. Okay? Okay, I'll take Sean's place and go, woo! Yeah, <laughs> we we need a third service wooer for sure. <laughs> Thank you for right. saying that. That's cute. God bless you, man. God bless you. Uh-huh. 
340-9585 for those of you not in the know. We've got uh, uh, a young man named Sean. He's just a delight. And there are just times in the service he'll go, woo! He's just sort of moved and, and does it. And, you know, at first everybody wondered, where's it coming from? And why is somebody doing that? And we get sort of, and that's during worship songs. And, and and now we've gotten so used to it that when he's not here in some of the other service, he comes to one service, it's like, oh, I tell Paula, Sean would have done a woo right there, you know, kind of thing. So that's what Jimmy was talking about. Here's a question from Chris from our email inbox uh, that just came in. Uh, it says, now that restrictions are easing, why are some churches still afraid to open? Is this a lack of faith? Um, Chris, we, we can't judge um, why some are 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 not open. You know what I think, and again, I hope this doesn't come off as judgmental, but what I've found, talking to a lot of people, not only pastors, but people who go to churches, well, we were at Breakfast Paula, and we ran into some people that we've known over the years because they go to the same restaurant, and they're believers. And uh, I told them, hey, pray for us. Our church is coming back. This was three weeks ago. Our church is going to start meeting again. I said, Really? Your church can start meeting. We're closed till October. And here's the thing. Now, they're a a mainline denomination. And uh, I've really wrestled with this. And what I've come up with, Chris, is it's really how you view church. You know, the government said we're non-essential, at least for a time. They're changing now. But um, I I don't view church as non-essential. I think this is an essential part of our day-to-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour lives. We are the church, and you can't close the church. Jesus is walking around. Revelation 1 says he's walking around in the center of the churches. So what does it mean? If, if we're not here, Jesus is all by himself? Now, the reality is there are some who are just afraid. This pandemic um, has been been so thrown in our faces hour after hour, day after day, that people are afraid. And it's, it's time, I think, to, to deal with our fears. And I always tell our church that faith is the antidote to fear, but you've got to want to be where Jesus is. You've got to want to be a part of the church. And I, I can't imagine my life without church, even when we were only doing it online uh, for those six or seven weeks, however long it was. Um, w- you know, we always knew that we would open up the moment, the moment the governor said that we could. We didn't want to violate the law. We have maintained the letter of the law in our services. And yet it wasn't the same when people were gone. I had a a young woman, young woman, she's young to me, but she'd been around Calvary Chapel now for more than 23 years. Um, She just stopped by to say hello to me, and and she hugged me. She just says, oh, we've missed you so much. You see, the, 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 the body of Christ, that is the church. And if you don't really value your church experience, then you're not going to be quick to come back. So I'm grateful, Chris, that the restrictions are easing. Um, um, We're going to uh, start expanding 
our showroom showroom our sanctuary capacity um, starting this Sunday. Uh, we've got uh, some graduation ceremonies and high school banquets and stuff coming up next week as well. So, um, you know, we want people to be able to come back. Uh, I even ended the ban on hugging. It was just silly. So I told, look, if, if just ask people. We're adults. We don't have to have somebody else tell us who we can hug and who we can't hug. But before you hug somebody, ask them if it's okay. And if somebody doesn't want to be hugged yet, if they're not ready for that or, or, or shaking hands, then that's okay. But I said, you know, this is the body of Christ. I can't imagine withholding our physical displays of affection for one another. These are the people that are planted so deeply in my heart. So, Chris... Um, for some, I'm sure it's a lack of faith. For others, I think they're just afraid. But I think most of the time when people aren't eager to get back, it's just because they're not all that committed to church in the first place. And, of course, that's not a good thing. Let's go to next question. Bobby says, Pastor Ron, how do you think I should view teachings of men who are really gifted teachers who have since fallen into sin. Bobby, I'm going to tell you, this is one of the things in my life that I've struggled with as much as anything at all. Uh, I've got friends. I'm thinking of a guy right now who was the single most gifted communicator I've ever, ever encountered. Um, He could be funny. He could be intense. uh, Just unbelievable gift. And I loved listening to him. And his whole life blew apart because he was having um, affairs with women he wasn't married to. And a huge, huge church came down crashing and burning. I can't even listen to those teachings any longer. Now, there's still good stuff in those teachings, Bobby, but personally, for me, and this is just my line, your line may be different. But if a man was teaching something and he was so gifted at it, but he was teaching something that didn't help his walk with the Lord, if he could be teaching these great messages all the while living in sin, then as far as I'm concerned, he has nothing else of value for me. And, and I don't want to listen. I want people who really believe what they're teaching. And if somebody can basically lie for years and years and years, um, then then there's just all the power has gone out of their teaching as far as I'm concerned. So again, I really struggle with this issue. I wish I had a better answer for you. Uh, but I simply don't listen to people who aren't practicing what they preach in their own lives. Now, obviously, I don't know about a lot of people, but... Uh, the people that I listen to now, Bobby, are people who I am pretty convinced their their walk with God has been tested, and I am pretty convinced that they're they're genuine in their faith, and I enjoy. Uh, Paul and I can just tell you we have been uh, listening on Sunday mornings to uh, uh, Charles Stanley. Uh, I used to listen to him, and Paul loved him when when I first got saved. Um, but I haven't listened to him for years and years and years, and now I'm watching him get old. I'm watching him after he's had to deal with some physical issues and he fell and there was a long recovery and he's gone through a lot of 
real, real trials and trauma in his life. But having watched him go through those things and see his commitment still to teaching the Word, to serving Jesus, I'm inspired by him. David Jeremiah is another one. The older he gets, the harder he pushes. Um, Tony Evans just lost his wife. I've been paying very close attention to how he deals with this loss. And um, it's been heroic. So um, I'm stepping outside of the group of people that I know. But but those three in particular have really been a blessing to me over the last couple of years. Thank you very, very much, Bobby. I hope that helps a little bit. Let's go to Scott calling from Shirts Online 1. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you, Scott? Everything's going well for you. I'm doing well. Um, Good. We are, too. I was listening to John Corson today on, it was in Philippians chapter 2, and he touched on verse 7, and I never heard the word before, so I did a little research. I was researching it today, the kenosis, the doctrine of kenosis, and um, about where Jesus empties himself. And John had talked about, well, what did he empty himself of? And he said, well, you know, because he was still divine, and he's, he, he just wanted you to maybe touch on it also, but um, that Jesus was just like us in human form, completely dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, is basically what he was kind of teaching on. And uh, if I'm understanding that right. Um, anyway, I'd just like to hear your, your comments on that, on that verse and also on that doctrine of uh, kenosis. I'm going to yeah, hang thank, up and listen to you on the radio. Thank, thank you, Scott. This is this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Uh, in fact, in my here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in the fifth verse. Um, but when he says he, he made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself. Um, um, it, it is a staggering, a staggering theological um, um, issue to wrestle with. Um, it says that he was God, he was being made, um, he was in the form of God, but didn't consider robbery to be equal with God. And the best way to use that, there's a, a pretty vivid word picture here in, in Greek, Scott. It's like Jesus has, being God, all he's holding it. And then when it says to did not consider robbery to be equal with God, then the picture is him letting it go. When Jesus came in the Incarnation, he set aside everything that made him God. His power, his omniscience. Jesus, you remember, didn't know the time of his coming. Not even the Son of Man knows. Well, why? It's because he emptied himself of all of those attributes. You know, with all the power that he, he had and the miracles he did, he never did one miracle that benefited himself. And so he walked this earth. He got tempted directly by the, by the devil himself. He went hungry. He got tired. All of the things that we would never think about with God, Jesus let go of his equality with God as he walked on this earth. And he did it, emptying himself. That's the doctrine you're talking about, emptying himself of him. Now, there's, there's a couple of real staggering things here, Scott, that, that we have to think about this. We know that Jesus, in his incarnation, never did anything of his own volition. He said, and he meant this literally, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. That's one of the reasons Jesus was out 
many times all night long on the mountain praying. He was getting instructions. But everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you, Scott, just like I, have to depend on the Holy Spirit. So did Jesus. And there were things Jesus didn't didn't understand. Why have you forsaken me, he asked from the cross. And yet, having emptied himself of all of the powers of God, he did it so that you and I would learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, completely and totally dependent on God. I'll go one verse farther. It said, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That word shouldn't be bondservant and came in the likeness of men. You know, I don't think we often think about this, God, and this is something you can really prayerfully consider. But for Jesus, who was God, to take on human form, to enter into the womb of a teenage girl, to travel through a birth canal, to be born in abject poverty, worshipped by angels, and then suddenly he's in the womb of this teenage girl. An unfathomable demotion. And yet he did it for you and he did it for me. It's, it's an amazing thing to think about. You, you mentioned John Corson. I remember John Corson telling a, a story. And John Corson, by the way, is uh, one of the, the two most godly men I've ever known. Um, and John's a friend. We've had him here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio a couple of times. Uh, and and uh, he is absolutely the real deal. Um, John told a story about becoming a dog. You know, what if Jesus came to you and said, I'm gonna, well, are you sure? Because I want you to become a dog. And John used the Chihuahua as an example because that's what John's crazy mind thinks like. And he said, well, Lord, if, if i got to be a dog to, to save all the other dogs in the world, and that's what you want me to do, you're the Lord, I'll do it. And then, then the Lord said, but, but there's one thing. Once you're a dog, you're always going to be a dog. Life and think, well, that's a terrible demotion. Who wants to be a dog? Well, Jesus becoming a man was a much and infinitely bigger step down than, than you or I becoming a dog. A little loud, yappy chihuahua. Well, Jesus is always the man. He's forever the God-man. He still has physical presence. He still is in that glorified, resurrected body. He is not like he was before the incarnation and never will be again. He will bear his scars, his wounds. And because he does, well, we know he can relate to us. That's really, really an important question. Thank you very much, Scott. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, by the way, 5 through about verse 10. Uh, it's good memorization material. Oh, we're running out of time. This is really going fast. Um, let me ask this question. Susan says, Pastor Ron, does the baptism of the Holy Spirit happen upon being saved or later? Um, Susan, let's define terms a little bit. Normally when people say baptism of the Spirit, they're talking about that that second experience of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, when we are saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. That's when we are sealed with a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have as much of God, the fullness of Godhead in bodily form, living in us as we'll ever have. So the baptism of the Spirit, often it's called being filled with the Spirit, is a different experience. And that, that different experience is the experience of power. And Susan, uh, this is something that we need to have happen every day. Now, not every day will it be emotional. Uh, sometimes that first experience of being filled with the Spirit is very emotional. Sometimes people cry. Sometimes gifts are given. People will speak in tongues. Uh, other times they're just sort of overwhelmed by, by what's been described as a tidal wave of love. Um, but that's the Spirit of God saying, I'm, I'm in charge now. However, after that initial experience, it is an experience that we need every single day. Um, when I go out walking with the Lord first thing in the morning, my, my first thought is, Lord, I need you. Fill me. I can't do this on my own. I don't even want to do it on my own. So I ask for the power from heaven. Now that power is initiated by our obedience. So when we're obedient, Susan, the power of the Spirit comes over us and equips us for ministry, empowers us to do whatever it is God has called us to do. I'll give you an example uh, really quickly if you're going to share the gospel with somebody. And maybe you're a little bit nervous, but you know you need to. The Spirit is sort of saying, go, go, go. Well, when you say, okay, I'm going to do it, I don't care how nervous I am, and you step out, and then the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit sort of takes over. And we need that power for everything. I can't be a good husband, let alone a good pastor, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can't be a good wife or good mother. You, you can't do anything apart from me. Jesus said, you can do nothing. And then, conversely, with the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So the issue so much, Susan, isn't when it happens. Uh, Over and over and over in the book of Acts, you'll see the same apostles being filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit time and time again. So basically, every time that we leave our homes, every time that we want to do anything for the Lord, every time we open our Bibles and want to hear from God, we need to ask for the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit so that God can speak to us and that we can understand and we can obey. Good question, Susan. Hey, thanks for the calls today. This has been the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand In for Life. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.